Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Taiwan Talk. I'm your host, Alex Lewis. We took a break for the New Year's holiday, and we come back this week talking about Blizzard, the video game developer and publisher that built an honest-to-goodness brick-and-mortar stadium here in Taipei for their esports. The video game industry is benefiting from developments in technology like VR, making games more interesting and accessible to audiences outside their core constituency. But the industry is also benefiting from the emergence of esports. Just look at the NBA, NFL, and FIFA, and other major sports leagues to see just how lucrative the sports industry can be. It's not just about the product. There's the game, then there's the analysis of the game, and the statistics, talking heads, pontificating about the players who themselves become personalities and celebrities, the fantasy sports, the betting surrounding the game. The fact that the video game industry can cross over to the sports industry is huge. So Eddie Mung, the managing director of Blizzard Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Macau, sat down with me in late December to discuss the year Blizzard had with the opening of their e-stadium, the development of esports, and about the inaugural season of the Overwatch League. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Doing great.、Uh, it's been a great year for us. We're at the end of a very busy year for Blizzard and for esports. And I think it's a great time to kind of reflect back on what we've done this year. So I'm here to talk to you about Blizzard, but more specifically esports. Can you define esports for me? Well, it's, it's an interesting question because there's been a lot of debate around, you know, what is esports? It is. Is it a sport?、Um, can we compare it to a sport? You know, what's the business like? What's the environment like? But you know, I, personally, I don't think that's as interesting as looking what esports does and looking looking at it from that perspective. So, looking at esports and what it means to fans of esports, first of all, it generates loyalty. There are a legion of loyal esports fans, especially among younger people. And if you, if you look at some、uh, studies that have been done among younger people, millennials. Uh, there's actually as much awareness about esports as there is for traditional sports like hockey and baseball, especially. So there's definitely a huge fan base for esports. That's number one.、Uh, number two, for esports players, there's a high degree of skill involved, and you'll find that、uh, you know across traditional sports as well. And the last thing is.、Uh, You know, there's, there's all this drama and emotion around esports.、Uh, if you are lucky enough to attend one of these live esports events, you know the cheering and the fandom that gets involved, the chanting, and the depression when your team loses. You know, so I think in short, all the things that a sports fan gets out of their fandom in sports, you can find in esports. So I think that's that's for me a more interesting way to look at it, rather than sort of hard and fast rules about. How to define esports? Yeah, that kind of answers a question that I was going to ask you later. Like, what would you say to people that don't believe gaming or esports is a real sport? And I think that puts that to bed.、Um, I actually、uh, stumbled onto an Overwatch tournament at Huasan,、uh, 1914. Was it Cultural Park? And the energy and the excitement was palpable. There were commentators. There were people streaming the game, and it was just really cool to see.、Um, what is the state of esports or the gaming community here in Taiwan? And、uh, what has Blizzard done to shape this community? Well, let me just go back to your, your statement a little bit.、Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge sports nut. I grew up in Michigan, so I, you know, I love my Michigan Wolverines. You know, football, basketball. I love the Pistons. You know, I, I, <laughs> I'm a huge sports nut. And you know, esports is one of these phenomena that I stumbled across as well. You know, mostly through my my work. But the same level of excitement and passion and、um, fandom that That follows that that I get from sports. You know, I experience all those things through, through esports, 
And that's why I feel very passionate about, about the subject. As far as uh, what's happening in Taiwan, I think it's interesting. Taiwan is a pretty small market compared to the bigger giant markets in esports in China and South Korea. I think in Asia, those are the bigger markets. Uh, Taiwan is much smaller in size, but we have a very uh, complete ecosystem going back to the early days of esports. I think if you look at the uh, traditional older days of esports, you know, there are games around uh, Warcraft and Starcraft. And Taiwan has a rich history going back to the early days of esports. And despite the fact that we're a smaller market with fewer players, Taiwan has had a history of very competitive players. Our players and teams have done very well on the international stage, won world championships in some instances. So despite uh, you know smaller in size and scale, Taiwan has a pretty rich esports ecosystem. And now we have the Blizzard E-Stadium. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that's developed over the year? Yeah, I think that goes, you know, the, the, the esports roots in Taiwan played a big part of why we built that uh, E-Stadium. Uh, we have a pretty loyal fan base here, uh, so we thought it's a great way for us to celebrate esports with our fans that have been very loyal to us for a long time. Uh, and also, you know, Taiwan being a smaller market gives us a chance to do a lot of experimentation. The Blizzard E-Stadium is the first of its kind for us globally. Uh, and to put it in Taipei was, I think, very special for us, for our fans, but it also allows us to experiment. And if we can prove the case, maybe we could, you know, take that model, model elsewhere. And that's, in fact, what happened. You know, we, uh, we spent a lot of time evaluating the opportunity, learning about how to build a facility. We built it, uh, did a lot around it. We were very successful in our first season. And now uh, we've started to build out facilities elsewhere. I think the Blizzard Arena in Los Angeles was kind of the next step after Taipei. And hopefully we'll see more uh, after that. Uh, what are some of the future plans for E-Stadium here? How do you see it developing over the years? Well, this year was, uh, it was a hectic year just for us to complete construction, open it up, uh, getting a whole new crew trained to produce events there. But looking back, even though it was our first year, there were some great moments. I think um, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is we launched a professional Overwatch League. And we were able to impact not just Taiwan, but we've had players and teams from uh, Japan, from Thailand, Australia, Korea, uh, non-traditional markets that were here competing. And so our E-Stadium has had impact beyond just Taiwan. So next year, we want to do more of that. You know, this year, uh, just counting the number of days, we've had almost 140 days of competition throughout the year. And next year, we want to do more. This year, we've attracted probably over 15,000 fans that have come through the doors to witness a live esports event. We want to do more. Uh, so we want to pack as much as we can into that venue because it's a great way for us to engage our fans, to bring our esports to life. So next year, you know, this, this is the planning cycle for us for next year. So next year, we want to do more and maybe focus on some areas that we haven't been giving a lot of attention to this year. So next year, we're, con we're going to continue with the pro-level esports but also focus more on grassroots and even collegiate esports. Uh, I want to talk about the league, the Overwatch League. But first, I want to ask about um, how will Blizzard measure the success of the E-Stadium? Is it going to be just dollars and cents or how many like, butts you get into the seats? Uh, what's the, like, I guess, the key performance indicator? Well, I think that goes back to our motivation for doing it in the first place. I think one of the big reasons we built a stadium is that we 
simply have too much esports. You know, Blizzard, we have multiple games in our, our IP portfolio, and many of them are very suitable for esports. Uh, for example, this year we've had competition across five different games. It's getting to the point where it's very difficult for us to execute all of our esports programs without having a dedicated facility. So one of the key ways we want to measure success is our ability to do all of our esports across all of our IPs justice, to give it the kind of a love and care that each of our IPs deserve. So that's number one. The second is, can we do it at a high uh, level of quality? You know, in the past where we've worked with multiple partners, multiple venues, it was difficult to maintain a consistent level of quality. Um, in terms of the fan experience, the viewership experience, the experience for our players and teams, even for our partners, you know, how we present their brand. So having a dedicated facility allows us to better control the quality. So quality is another measure of success for us. Another is uh, engagement metrics. You know, how many fans come to witness esports? How many people watch it online? Uh, how much content we generate? You know, content is another big thing. Um, esports gives us a chance to talk about our games outside of games. It gives different topics for our fans to engage with. And of course, you mentioned dollars and cents. Um, that's important. We do want to build a business around our venue. But honestly, uh, we built the stadium for, you know, for engaging our fans to give a good quality experience and to uh, kind of prove a concept. So all those things are important to us. You talk about the conversation surrounding the games. I mean, that's just like sports. You have all these talk shows. And I mean, I don't know how many times I've started up a conversation with somebody, a random stranger about, you know, like, hey, did you see that game last night? Or you see that, like, you know, that big shot. Uh, by Chauncey Billups and, you know, the Pistons, right? Back in the day. Yeah, but uh, you're just trying to, like, I guess, uh, cultivate that sort of community, that sort of um, instill that into the culture of esports, you know, like that traditional sporting community. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's interesting to say that because, you know, as a sports fan, in looking at what I engage in as a sports fan, in looking at esports, I think it's fair to say that esports, we're still at the beginning stages. You know, all the ways we engage with sports those are still things that are sort of emerging esports. For example, um, statistics, fantasy sports, uh, a, a history of your engagement with a sports club. You know, you, I, I follow certain teams and I follow them over uh, losing seasons, winning seasons, championships, loss of players, injuries, all that stuff. That that all start that takes time to build, and it's coming to esports. You know, fantasy esports is coming. Um, you know, some say that uh, esports betting is coming. All those things that are around traditional sports, they're emerging with esports. And when those things do become more complete, I think uh, our esports fans will be engaged with esports the same way that sports fans do. Are you seeing that the esports community or the esports uh, organizers can base their development of esports leagues, um, base it off existing? pro sports leagues like the NBA and how they're trying to like push for, you know, uh, legalized betting, um, how fantasy sports is set up, all that stuff. Are you looking at those things and saying like, hey, that's been done before. We can do this much faster uh, for esports. Yeah, I think that's the exciting thing. With esports, we have the opportunity to build something completely new. We have the opportunity to take the best from traditional sports and pair it with things that uh, are much more future looking. For example, from traditional sports, all the things that you mentioned, um, there are organized leagues, 
there are uh, revenue share, there are structures that we can take from existing sports that exist in the NBA. Uh, I mentioned revenue share. There are things like um, exclusive uh, regional exclusivity, things that help build franchise value. Those things and structures we can take from traditional sports, but we have an opportunity to build something that can be paired with something that exists today. Uh, for example, one of the great things about esports is distribution. You know, we're not tied to traditional media. You know, things live live broadcasts, uh, platforms like Twitch and YouTube. Those things have you know a global reach. We're not uh, we're not limited by sort of the traditional distribution methods. So you pair what's happening today with the great things that happened in the past, and I think we have an opportunity to build something for the next generation. Just an aside, this is—it's a shame about net neutrality. Like that just sucks, dude. Um, <laughs> but um, okay. So you talked about a lot of the, a lot of your IPs. How you want to give it like equal equal chance and an equal like quality. Uh, what are some of the more popular games in Taiwan among Blizzard titles? Uh, well, it's a little hard to say because we have so many games, and they differ across genres and platforms. So you know, of course, some are more popular, some are more niche. But I think the one thing in common is that. They're loved by each of their uh, loyal fan bases. So, for the core Blizzard players that have been with us for a long time, it's about the more uh, traditional IPs, the StarCraft, Warcraft, and the Diablo universes. For newer, maybe younger fans, I think they're more likely to be engaged with uh, Hearthstone, which is a uh, a uh, free-to-play game that's also cross-platform, uh, maybe a little more accessible to current generation. And also the latest is uh, Overwatch, which is one of our newer IPs. It's uh, set in a very different universe with a very unique art style that's maybe a little more accessible to the current generation. I want to go back to um, talking about, like the, I guess, the parallels between esports and uh, just pro sports that are, that are happening. So you said that you can kind of learn from the traditional pro leagues right now, like the way they structure uh, revenue sharing and stuff, like in the NBA, and um, maybe collective bargaining agreements. I'm not quite sure. But... Um, who dictates that? Like, who gets to say like how the league is set up, how the league is shaped? What's interesting, you know, esports really is a grassroots phenomenon. It was born not out of uh, formal leagues or professionalized teams. It grew at the very start. Esports was about fans loving a game and wanting an opportunity to compete uh, using a game, and it's grown to where it is today because of just this mass fandom. And publishers like Blizzard, like some of our uh, competitors, we saw it as something with potential to be more than just kind of a, a grassroots phenomenon. So a lot of the things that you're seeing today in terms of formalized structures, they are uh, being led by the publishers, like Blizzard for our Overwatch League, for example. Well, those things are really publisher-driven because it takes the involvement of the IP owner to build some formal structures around it. Where do you see esports going in Taiwan in the coming years? Well, I think Taiwan is a really interesting place in Asia. Uh, like I mentioned before, the bigger markets are China and South Korea. But Taiwan, given how relatively small we are, we have an important role to play. Uh, we have some of the best teams and players uh, worldwide. You know, if you look at all the esports games and leagues, not just Blizzard, but you know, all, all the big name esports, uh, we do very well. Um, we have some of the top teams and players that do very well on the global stage, so we could contribute in that way. 
But also something we've learned through our uh, Overwatch Pacific Championship is that Taiwan can seed growth for some of these non-traditional markets. Uh, we've had we've hosted pro teams here from Thailand, from Japan, from Australia. These are sort of non-traditional esports markets. And having our venue here in Taipei, we've been able to seed those markets. So I think Taiwan has a strategic role beyond sort of having great teams and players here. And again, you mentioned Overwatch. Can you tell me about what's to come in the 2018-2019 years and beyond for the Overwatch League? Well, Overwatch League is uh, is something very new, built from the ground up. Uh, it's something that should be very exciting. Uh, we have multiple teams in the first season that's about to start in January. Teams from North America, from the UK, from Asia. Uh, so it's going to be something brand new. Some of the top players in the world are gathered in Los Angeles right now, preparing for the upcoming season. Um, and I, I think it's a sign of things to come. Something like the Overwatch League uh, has a structure that will optimize sort of the investor value for people who do invest in teams. It's going to provide something to shoot for, for players that aspire to be the best players in the world. Uh, we're building an ecosystem, not just the Overwatch League, but we have a system where uh, players, the skilled players, they have an opportunity to showcase their skills, to uh, capture the attention of sort of the pro teams. There's a path for them. We call it from uh, the path to pro. You know, that's there's a whole ecosystem that builds up to the Overwatch League, and we hope this is something that's a complete system that will not only engage your fans, but also provide a path for players to, to compete at the highest levels. Um, so the Taiwanese government gave esports its own sporting category in 2016. How does that shift the perception on esports here in Taiwan? Like, does it does it affect Blizzard at all, the e-stadium, or anything? Well, it's interesting. I think for esports to mature and grow, there does need to be a public-private partnership. Uh, for publishers like us, I mean, we're going to invest in esports no matter what because our fans expect it. It's part of the game experience. Uh, for competitive games, I think it, you have to have eSports to have some credibility for the game. Um, so for us, we're always going to invest in eSports. But for the entire ecosystem to grow, there does need to be support. I think uh, you know, we'll invest in it, but you know, there needs to be more corporate investment um, for the entire ecosystem to grow. And I think where the government can play a role around regulations is to perhaps provide some incentives for other corporates to invest. There's a lot that can be done with respect to facilities, also for players themselves. You mentioned collective bargaining. I think that gets at things like minimum salaries. It gets at things like health insurance. There's a lot of things that the government can do to spur investment and to make sure that players are taken care of. And also, at least with, uh, I think most collective bargaining agreements, it also stipulates that you have to go to college for one year. You can't go straight out of high school or something. So if you're like a child prodigy at Overwatch at 13 years old, they kind of incentivize you to stay in school and to, you know, finish your education before you can go pro or something like that. Um, and and uh, when I was growing up as a child, I was chastised a lot for playing video games, you know, like the Dreamcast when I first had it and then like the Xbox and then the PS4. But, um... So I was chastised for that, but I would play basketball in my free time, and that was fine because I was practicing a sport. Um, I feel like there is going to be a shift in perception 
when they are playing video games, it's not just seen as like wasting your time, right? You're like developing skills and you're doing something worthwhile. Could you please talk on that and also talk about what do you think is a healthy amount of video games uh, practicing or otherwise like, you know, watching and all that stuff for kids and how would you manage your own kids, like their, their conception of video games? Well, this is a great question because uh, it's reality for me. I have a four-year-old son and, uh, you know, this summer, you know, we bought him a little camera to play with because we thought, hey, this is a great way for him to get into photography, develop a hobby. We bought him the camera. Little did we know, it came pre-installed with some games. And, uh, you know, kids, as they do, he got into the menu and somehow found the games, started playing it. And so my wife and I were confronted with this issue much earlier than we expected. Uh, and the way we treat games really is the way we treat other things. Uh, we place limits on how much he can play. We use it as an incentive. You know, he has to uh, eat his vegetables in order to earn time playing games. And I think it's with anything else, it, it's, it need, there needs to be a balance. Uh, if he loves games, we, we're supportive. But we also want him to go out and get dirty and roll around and, and, and develop uh, healthy habits. So it's about balance. Um, and you also mentioned that uh, something very interesting is when people mention games, sometimes parents focus on the negative aspects, you know, spend too much time playing games or addiction. Uh, those things exist, but I think parents also need to think about kind of the positives of gaming. Um, there have been lots of stories. For example, World of Warcraft, I think, is a great example. There's been lots of stories and even academic research on sort of the real-life skills you can develop uh, by participating in games. Um, if you're a guild leader, organized raids, you learn leadership skills, communication skills, uh, organization skills. All those things translate into real life. And also, games are also a social platform for the younger generation. There's a lot of stories about meeting friends or meeting significant others and spouses through World of Warcraft. Uh, it is a social phenomenon as well. And it's an opportunity for gamers to meet friends beyond you know, the kids on your block or at your school. There are no borders. You can meet people from all walks of life, from all walks of uh, backgrounds and nationalities. So there are a lot of positives from gaming that uh, I think parents, when they realize that, um, Hopefully, they'll be a little more open to uh, finding balance for the kids to to uh, enjoy the, the passions that they have. Is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about so far? You know, for kids who want to uh, follow their dream, chase their dream of being a professional gamer, how do you do that? How does that happen? Find games on your camera when you're four <laughs> years old, probably. <laughs> That's the start. But I, I think even, you know, looking again at traditional sports, I think people have to approach it with a bit of a, a dose of reality because it is very difficult. It takes a high degree of skill. It takes talent. It takes dedicated and, you know, a lot of dedication and hard work. And you need a little bit of luck, you know, for any person who participates in sports and wants to be a professional athlete. Um, I think people do realize it's, it's a very difficult path. Not everybody can make it. You have to have all those things, talent and perseverance and luck. And the same thing for a professional gamer. It takes all those things as well. So I would encourage people who do want to chase that dream, by all means, chase your passion, but also be a little practical to think about. You have to go into it with your eyes open. And then by, by, by all means, chase your dream. Um, 
you know, I mentioned I'm a big sports fan. Uh, I also follow, uh, you know, beyond basketball and football, I also follow cycling. And I recently read a book about um, this professional cyclist who pursued his dream for 10 years, finally made it to the upper echelons of the sport. And his career lasted two years. And all the trials and tribulations of getting to that point. Um, and even when he got there, even when you become a professional, you know, there's a tier of stars and there's a tier of laborers, workers who help the stars. Uh, so it, it's a hard path. But, you know, as with anything, chasing your passions, there are a lot of rewards involved in the journey. So for those who want to pursue that, by all means, I encourage it. But please do it with your eyes open and go, go forth and chase your dream. Yeah, I wanted to be Michael Jordan back in the day. Didn't turn out that way, unfortunately, for me. But <laughs> good luck with your four-year-old kid and him finding games. And good luck with uh, the Overwatch League and everything else that's going on in Blizzard. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. A big thank you to Eddie Mung for taking time out of his day to sit down and talk with me. A big thank you to his PR team for setting it up. And hey, if you're interested in esports, video games, and all that, check out Game On, another ICRT podcast offering. The weekly game-centric podcast is hosted by Eric Gao and Leslie Liao, and they talk about industry trends, changes, and other things of interest. Check out Game On, available on the ICRT website and app and on iTunes. And that's it for this week's Taiwan Talk. Check in next week for my interview with CAFNU, the real-world social network for entrepreneurs and creatives. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Lewis.